Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Hey, hey, good morning. Good morning. Are you already up and at Mm-hmm. Are you already up and around or are you lying there in your little cozy nest of some variety or another? Mm-hmm. We have a bird finally nesting in one of our weird little birdhouses that uh, I have hanging at the ends of our big porch. I, I've, they've been hanging there for a while, and I kind of stopped looking to see if anybody had moved in. And then uh, yesterday, I was vacuuming the living room and saw a bird going in and out of the, you know, little door of the little birdhouse. So there you go. Uh, which made me think of how cozy it is to be all snuggled in. So maybe you're still all snuggled in this morning. If so, good morning. Um, I have a cozy blanket. That's my favorite, kind of like a cocoon desire when I'm sleeping. So there you go. Maybe you are likewise. Um, not really a sleeping bag fan. Like I don't, I don't like my feet to be all, you know, hostage situation, but yeah, that's probably more information than you needed. You're growing your faith. Verse of the day comes from Proverbs chapter two, verses six to nine. If you were going to memorize a few verses of scripture and you didn't know where to start, I really, I couldn't commend to you any better verses than these. So here we go. Proverbs chapter two, verses six to nine. For the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He grants a treasure of common sense to the honest. He is a shield to those who walk with integrity. He guards the path, paths of the just and protects those who are faithful to him. Then you will understand what is right, just and fair, and you will find the right way to go. Whew, anybody interested in finding the right way to go today? Wouldn't that be nice? Anybody interested in receiving the treasure of common sense? Anybody interested in having a shield as we seek to walk in integrity in a generation of such corruption? Yeah, I mean, these are such great, wonderful, assuring promises. So what is, ve- what is wisdom and how do you get it? That might be a good question to ask yourself. Um, what value is it to you? to understand what is right and just and fair and to find the right way to go. Because that's what's promised here. The right way to go is the way of righteousness. And so what is that? Where is that? Who reveals it? How do you walk in it? Think for a moment about all of the places in the Bible where it talks about how and where and with whom and by what spirit we walk. Literally called to follow Jesus in the walk of faith. And Encouraging one another to walk by faith and not by sight. In step with the Spirit, not the world. Um, To follow the narrow way that leads to life. I mean, you hear me say frequently, you know, let's walk our faith out into the world that God so loves and let's do so in ways that honor Jesus. The life of faith is a a walking faith. It's It's a faith that is lived out over distance and time in community with others. 
this passage from Proverbs chapter two is just, it's so rich. It's so good. It's so deep. You could, you could plumb the depths of it for a long time today. Maybe you could ask yourself, what's the difference between wisdom and knowledge? And what's the role of understanding in both? Because the Lord grants wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. That's a, that sounds like a threefer there. And what does it mean that he grants the treasure of common sense? Isn't common sense so common that everybody has it? Apparently not. What does it mean for God to see us as an honest person? And then consider how God is described here. And think about the way Paul uh, talks about in Ephesians chapter 6, putting on the full armor of God in order that we might stand against the assaults of the enemy that that come every day. This passage in Proverbs says God is a shield, God guards the paths of the just. God protects those who are faithful to him. Let's live into these verses today. For the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He grants a treasure of common sense to the honest. He is a shield to those who walk with integrity, a guard to the paths of those who are just. He protects those who are faithful to him. Then you will understand what is right, just, and fair, and you will find the right way to go. Let us be seeking the right way to go today, and let us be finding it in the counsel of God. Our friend Nick Pitts is going to join us next. We're going to talk about what Americans believe or what they say they believe. Do you believe in God? Do you also believe in heaven? Do you believe that God has an enemy, the devil, Satan? Do you believe that there is a real hell? How about angels? We're going to talk with Nick next about what our neighbors say and answers to those questions. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Hey, our friend Nick Pitts is back. You can find what he's thinking about at thebriefing.net. Good morning, Nick. Good morning, Carmen. How are you? I I am well. It is well with my soul. How about you? Uh, You know, I can't complain and it wouldn't do me any good anyway. So (laughs) That's exactly right. All right, so um, Americans get asked frequently in polls what they uh, think or believe about things. And so Gallup has asked again um, Americans, you know, to weigh in on beliefs, belief in God, heaven, the devil, hell, angels. What, what did we learn? Yeah, we're continuing to see this drop of just distrust that's just been sweeping across the U.S. for probably the past 20 years. We've just seen, I mean, even today, Gallup released numbers relative to just the lack of trust in the military. So we know it's just not limited to the things not of this world. Um, And so what we find is in a recent Gallup poll, belief in God and the devil has just decreased uh, yet again. uh, And the devil, it decreased three to five percentage points since 2016. Um, but uh, the majority are still believing that there is a, such a thing as a God and a devil and angels, etc. 74% believing in God, 69% in angels, 67 in heaven, and 59% in hell. So we're just um, continuing to see just a, a downtick in the number of individuals that are believing uh, in what we would consider those things that are of ultimate reality, which there is a God um, and uh, he has waged a war against the enemy and he has won that war um, that we still continue to fight to this day, but we fight from victory, not for victory. That's so good. I was, uh, I was thinking um, about Tozer's um, statement in the knowledge of the Holy 
um, that what comes uh, into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And if when you think about God, nothing comes to mind, um, then you have to fill that void yourself. And that's a dangerous place to be living. And then in thinking about what Tozer says about the most important thing, right, about us is is what we think about God. Um, Lewis said the most important thing about us is not what we think about God, but what God thinks about us. Um, and if you've arrived at the place, right, where you don't believe in, you don't believe in the reality of God, then you're never going to get to the question, you know, why does God think about me? And what does God think about me when he, when he sees me? So this, uh, th- these are really critical, important questions of what we believe because it does determine how we live. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, I think there's this, uh, there was a fascinating study that kind of tied this idea of a decreasing belief in the supernatural and the spiritual um, was directly tied to just the illusions of what the internet and our smartphones can say that we know about ultimate reality. And so uh, it, it's kind of a fascinating twist. The more we have access to information, the less that we're believing in the supernatural. Um, and I, I think that's the, the thing that's a, a drawback for us. If we continue to think through how do we interact with our neighbors well, our neighbors have got more information than what they've ever had access to in the history of humanity, right? You literally, I remember uh, growing up, I remember seeing in my grandparents' house the Encyclopedia Britannica that was on their bookshelf, right? And that was the only way that you were going to get access to that type of information because you couldn't just log on to your smartphone. Um, you didn't have on-demand television with a, a, a sundry amount of documentaries that were available to tell you a particular perspective on some topic. Your ac- your access to information was limited to your Britannica collection or to the local library. You didn't have the internet. But as we have gained greater and greater access to the internet, it's created more gatekeep- it's created fewer gatekeepers. There's more information available, which in turn has sowed a level of distrust and doubt. Um, and which is the implications of which we're dealing with today. And so it's going to be really important. I continue to go back to this point of people have more information and they think they know the answers. And so from an apologetic standpoint, when we're talking to our neighbors, it's less about making a point for Christ and more about asking questions for Christ. If individuals already think they know the answers, then we've got to ask better questions to help them realize they don't have the right answers. Right. And so, understanding that they already have come to the belief that they don't believe in the spiritual, they don't believe in God, they don't believe in the devil, they don't believe in angels, etc. Well, if they've already come to that, then I need to create a cognitive dissonance and ask better questions to stir that disequilibrium so that I might be able to uh, find a little crack in their in their thinking and then to be able to find that the God of this world inhabits every crevice of this world. Amen. Uh, the infinitesimally small and the infinitesimally big. Yeah, he's uh, he's mm-hmm. he's everywhere and in all of it. It's so uh, so helpful. All right, we're going to turn um, our attention to a couple of headlines out of the city of Oakland here in just a moment um, with our friend Nick Pitts. Um, let me let me ask this: At what point would you describe your city as reaching? a state of emergency. What would that look like? What would the criteria be? The NAACP asserts that the city of Oakland has arrived at uh, 
uh, at a state of emergency. Why? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. All right, there's a guy in uh, in Oakland, California, who is uh, named Bishop Bob Jackson. He's lived his entire life in the Bay Area, except for four years when he served in the, in the U.S. military. He is the national director of the Soul Winning Department. He is uh, in he he's written books on evangelism, and yet under his watch, Oakland, um, you know, in his 77 years in the city, as he says, is the worst he's ever seen. And so, you know, that happened on his watch, and um, and he's laying it at the feet of um, uh, of the city. And so I just thought it's important to raise this as we as Christians respond to crises in, in the places where we live. So, Nick, what's going on in Oakland? What does the NAACP want to see happen along with religious leaders like Bob Jackson? Yeah, what we're continuing to see is just the effects of just this inability to be able to enact justice and to be able to enforce crime. You know, if you don't, if you don't punish criminals, it just further enables criminals to continue to perpetuate injustices upon a city and then innocent citizens are harmed. And so what we continue to see is there's just a rise in crime that's uh, plaguing the Oakland area. We're seeing an increase of 11% of violent crimes year over year. Uh, There's an increase of rape, 16 percent, robbery, 14 percent. And we're just seeing uh, growing groups that are saying enough is enough. It's it's time to, as as we know from the scriptures, justice and righteousness are the bedrocks of his throne. They're calling for justice, justice and righteousness to be restored to the city of Oakland. You see the disconnect for me, right? I mean, to have a person who you know, he, you know, he's, he says, I, you know, I've been here for 77 years. Um, I've never seen things this bad. I want to see, you know, the state, the county, the city address issues of understaffing um, at the police department. I want I want to see help from law enforcement to address crime. Um, and, you know, I, I and I want to say, OK, the, this the church needs to step forward and say um, we have not done a good job um cultivating character um and cultivating the character of Christ and Christ likeness in the community where God set us to serve um as provisional demonstrations of the kingdom of heaven this is not what it's like uh in heaven and so if it's not on earth like it is in heaven um we got to be we got to be praying for revival and we have got to be working for that and i'm 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 not disagreeing with the NAACP, nor with Bob Jackson, I am saying, hey, this happened on your watch. Like, you got to take some responsibility here for the ways in which you voted and the people you've placed into public office. Like, I, it's frustrating to me that people look to the government, you know, to bring about a resolution or a change 
when they actually are the people who made this happen by the way they voted over time. Completely I know I agree. sound frustrated, but I am. Oh, as you should be. Like, I, and it's the the frustrating thing is that innocent people are getting harmed, and it's Absolutely. not just innocent people harmed. There are there are more people that are getting harmed, yes, but there are vastly a, a greater number of people that are living in fear, and that that is not of this world, right? When when crime doesn't just impact you, it also impacts the way that you kind of live, move, and have your being, right? It it impacts the how you walk into a grocery store. What are you going to encounter when you get into a grocery store? How are you going to respond when you're out in the parking lot? When crime is on the rise in a city, it creates a level of fear and an atmosphere that's just not conducive and it's not healthy and it's not godly. And so well, as Christians, what I would I would contend one is what we know to be true. Right. We know to be true that we are to, uh, as the prophet Jeremiah said, this isn't our world, but we're to seek this, the welfare of this city that we live in. And in the kingdom of heaven, crime isn't on the rise because crime doesn't exist. And it can be kind of overwhelming because I find myself in a larger city and we've got a great uh, police chief. We've got a great mayor that are doing great work to decrease crime. But crime's not non-existent here in Dallas. There is crime, um, but it's on the downtick, unlike it is in Portland. And it can feel overwhelming when you're in a big city because there are so many problems, right? But the reality of the matter is God hasn't sent us to save the world. He already sent his son to do that, but he has called us to bear a burden in this world. And so if you're a church member that's listening, or if you're a, if you're a lay person that's there in Oakland, perhaps I just think through, okay, what is, what's a trouble of my city? Um, I can't solve all of them, but I can help one of them. And so is it homelessness? Maybe Mm. it's hunger. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's a job. Maybe it's job relocation or workforce development, whatever that is. I I would just really I would really just uh, challenge you to identify what is that? What's that passion that you have? What are those resources that God has brought together in your church and those skills and those talents? And then really lean into your city. Seek out your city council members, seek out those city officials that are trying, that are doing their best because nobody wants to see crime rise. And then just lean into those talents that God's given to you and and just know this, that when you give God your, when you give God your lunch, he's going to turn it into a feast for an entire city and just give that lunch over to your city in, in, in the name of the Lord Jesus and watch how he just blesses your city. Yeah. Seeking the welfare of the city, um, even, even if it's, uh, a city in grave distress, like that's that is our calling um, as Christians. When you talk about that feeling safe, you know, like it, whether or not you actually feel safe, this was a test that I learned from uh, from a friend a number of years ago. When he said he said to me, "Would you feel safe? Like you know, your hair your hair up in a ponytail? Would you feel safe driving in a convert- convertible? You know, and and going." Uh, you know, going shopping in the evening in the city where you live, and I'm thinking, yeah. I feel comfortable driving in a convertible with my hair up in a ponytail, um, you know, going to the grocery store after dark. Absolutely. Um, and he said that is how in his community you could you could judge who feels safe, who was who felt comfortable driving around in a convertible at night. And he said in his community, it's only the thugs. No, no woman in a ponytail would ever drive around in a convertible because that just, you know, that, that just made a handle for her to get snatched. And I'm just like, oh my, like I, not a thought that ever crossed my mind. So who drives around, who feels safe driving around in your community or your city in a convertible at night? Mm-hmm. 
Um, that is an interesting yeah. test of how people feel in terms of their safety today. Um, yeah, Nick, what a great recommendation and thought this morning to be considering the welfare of the city where we live and to do the small thing. Do the next right small thing, because it's those small things that add up into big things in both directions. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Like, that, for example, for us here in Dallas, I know homelessness continues to be a problem, much like it is in other big cities across the U.S. with inflation the way that it is and cost of living. And so what we've, what I've decided to do is I just want to support our, so for example, they've got a great friend that, that's leading up Austin city center, which is a homeless homelessness, um, um, a shelter, but it's not just a shelter. It's also a workforce development. I know that I see homelessness every day on the way into work and I can either just lament, mourn it, or I can do something about it. And I think God's given me resources and God's given me time and talents to be able to try to lend my help towards this to make the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven here in the city of Dallas. And I don't, I don't want to miss out. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks so much. As always, we, uh, we appreciate your time. So great to be with you, Carmen. Likewise. Hey, that's, that's Nick Pitts. Uh, you can, you can find him when he's thinking about what he's writing uh, reflections at thebriefing.net. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Let's take a moment to go upwards with Max Lucado. All right, how much do you remember about who was on the phone in a meeting that you participated in 10 years ago? <laughs> That's like, so I'm thinking about that. I'm like, okay, where was I 10 years ago? What was I doing? What meetings might I have been in? Who would have been on the phone? And then who might have been on the speakerphone um, that wasn't actually physically present in the meeting? Because we do think about people being in meetings virtually now, not just physically present. And so why am I asking this question? Well, because that was the question that was posed over five hours of congressional testimony yesterday to a former um, business associate of the president's son, Hunter Biden. So this guy, Devin Archer, sat for five hours yesterday um, and offered testimony about the at least 20 times that he was present physically in a meeting with Hunter Biden, where Hunter Biden's dad, Joe Biden, was brought into the meeting via speakerphone. But then, according to Devin Archer, um, all they ever talked about or all that the then vice president talked about um, was the weather, which is curious, right? Because you have then plausible deniability that you... Um, ever actually talked about the substance of the meeting. I got to tell you, I don't think that I've ever brought my mom in on uh, on a business phone call. I don't I can't imagine why I would do that unless um, bringing her in would somehow influence you. So when we talk about what is happening um, at the uh, at the level of um, headline news today, I will tell you that that story is dominating the news from one perspective. The other story that is driving the national news today is the forthcoming indictment, or they're calling it indictment watch, of the former president, Donald Trump. It's entirely possible that today will be the day because the federal grand jury, which would hand down a criminal indictment against Trump as a part of the investigation into his conduct following the 2020 election, uh, that grand jury meets today. Um, We know that the former president received a target letter indicating that an indictment was forthcoming. And the grand jury that is hearing that case is meeting today. Um, And so is there's some expectation that today might be that day. What's driving the news in your life? Is it either of those two stories? Probably not. (laughs) Probably not. 
What's driving the news in uh, in in your life today might be what's um, what's driving the news in my family today, or I might be like it. So, a week from yesterday, school starts in our community, and you all know this, but I have an eight-year-old autistic granddaughter, and we just found out yesterday that um, her class at our local public school has no teacher, none. Nobody even applied for the job. There weren't even any applicants to be the special ed teacher at our local elementary school. And so, um, yeah, it's not just little Emma, but 12 other students who are supposed to start school next week with no teacher. Okay, that's not okay. That's not okay. That's not how my government is supposed to function. Um, That's not how it's supposed to work. And so, as you can imagine, we're in a sweated panic, as are uh, a dozen other families in our community. Um, Yes, there are two aides, but no teacher. And I don't know about you, but I, you know, we're not actually just sending our kids to school, um, you know, to be babysat with a bunch of other kids. That's actually not what we're hoping is going to happen there. So there you go. Um, What's driving the news in your own life and in your own family and in your own community is probably what's driving the news for you. And yet there's a lot going on in the world. And so we like to catch up on what in the world is happening in the world. And Luke Moon is one of our favorite conversation partners for that. And he's actually going to join us from Israel today, where there happens to be a lot going on in response to judicial reforms there. Um, But we're going to talk about a range of headlines across uh, Haiti and Africa um, and what's going on in terms of religious liberty around the globe. So, um, What's driving the news where you live? What's the headline news where you are? You can let me know. You can always text me 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All right, our friend Luke Moon is back. You can find him at The Philos Project. Um, You can also find him at Providence Magazine. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Well, it's morning for you, but it's afternoon for me. Happy afternoon where you are. Um, all right. What is the situation on the ground in Israel? Like, you know, are you are you are you dealing with, uh, you know, people marching in the streets? Like what's happening? Well, I mean, when we arrived, I arrived here on Saturday afternoon and there were protesters on the, the overpass and once Shabbat ended, there was protesters in front of the prime minister's house. Uh, it's been ongoing, but it's it's less than what it was, you know, before uh, the you know the the bill passed uh, the cassette, um, the the government Knesset. That's the word I was looking for. So. Yeah, the judicial reforms. All right, um, yes, in Haiti, um, which is geographically much closer to where I am than where you are, but this is really driving the news. Um, in in many sectors today, um, there has been an abduction of a uh, of a nurse and her child. Um, descriptions of the situation on the ground are quite harrowing, and the United States has pulled out non-essential personnel and issued um, travel warnings to all U.S. citizens. What what is going on in Haiti? Well, it's been an ongoing. For, for a while, it's kind of been building up until this point. There's been just a lot of gang activity, a lot of crime, and that basically Haiti at this point is, for all intents and purposes, a failed state. And when that happens, what you end up with is a 
you know, the, the kind of warlordism, you know, every neighborhood into its own trying to do what it can to both, you know, maintain control of its territory and also, you know, be able to try and feed people who are part of the different gangs. And, and in the process, you know, people, particularly women and children, are often left uh, to be the most vulnerable, uh, you know, and then there's you know, kidnappings as with the, uh, the American nurse and, and her daughter um, or her child. And, and in those situations that, you know, they're, they're trying to get ransom. They want ransom so that they can uh, buy food. And also, you know, perhaps if they can get smuggled out of the country, they can smuggle a family member uh, to another, to, to the U.S. Uh, through, you know, the southern border or, you know, they get on ships and try and cross uh, the Caribbean. Uh, often it's very deadly, but nonetheless, they try. They pay smugglers to to do that, and it's expensive. It's uh, I read it's it's five to seven times the annual wage of a Haitian is what the smugglers are now charging mm. to get people out of the country. Mm. All right, prayers are rising um, for the people. Uh, of one of the things, Carmen, if if, yeah. if I if I could expand on that. I mean, the the challenge is, you know, as is, you know, several years ago, I remember, you know, after the big earthquake or one of the big earthquakes took place there, I remember reading an article in which, you know, you had aid agencies and workers that would do stuff like bring in, uh, you know, rice and they'd give it out and, and that would, uh, solve the, the, the problem of starvation in the moment. But what it also did was it actually ruined the livelihood of at least five other families in the process. Because, you know, they, in a normal economy, you would have, there's a guy on a, in a, you know, who has a ship full of rice. He sells that ship full of rice to a guy who sells rice by the 100-pound bag. The 100-pound bag guy sells it to somebody who has 20 pounds of rice. And the 20-pound rice buys it, sells it to a person who goes into the market with a day's worth of rice in a cup and sells that. So if you suddenly introduce free rice, it means, I mean, the guy who has the ship, he can handle it. Probably the guy who has the 100-pound bag, he can handle it. But the person who has a 20-pound bag or, or less, they suddenly don't have a self-sustaining, they can't be their family anymore, except through the free, the free rice, but they don't make a wage in the process. And I think that's been, you know, is the challenge of these situations where there's real desperate situations, attempts by international organizations, often charities, trying to find a way to, uh, you know, provide aid, but at the same time, what the, the attempt to provide aid can actually exasperate or, or extend a, a uh, situation for years because of those instances of giving stuff away for free. So for those of you who are students of history or might want to know the history of this, so until the 1980s, Haitian farmers, local Haitian farmers, actually produced most of the rice that was consumed in Haiti, not only by their own families and their neighbors, but across their country. That has been replaced over time by American rice. 
And um, even by 20 years ago, the value of U.S. rice exports to Haiti amounted to $80 million. So it's not even that we were just giving it away for free. We were actually um, ultimately using it as a place where we could sell um, our own produce. And so um, yeah. the um, it, it eventually drove, as, as Luke is describing, it drove Haitians um, – you know, out, out, out of business. Um, and it drove them into extreme poverty and to the, to the point now that, um, yeah, the country is in utter crisis. And so it does matter how we intervene and where we intervene and under what circumstances. And so, um, it'll be interesting to see what intervention now comes. I know that Kenya is offering to lead a multinational force to restore order in, in Haiti Seems a little odd that help would have to come from halfway around the world, but Haiti doesn't really want U.S. intervention. Right. And, it's it, you know, we don't have a great relationship of being, uh, uh, you know, particularly supportive of, uh, of the Haitian people. We, we've often used those moments of crisis to either, you know, impact, like, ability to, you know, let, let American farmers sell their rice or even... You know, in the instance of the the, the post earthquake, there was a lot of money for reconstruction that ended up not ever making it down to the to the people. And so, I think it's it's one of those tales that's kind of it, it's been done so many times that you kind of look at Haiti and go, "Wow, really? We're we're here again." Mm-hmm. But there's so much of our involvement in that area has. You know, in the moments of trying to help, I mean, it is most it, in most of the services are now at this point being done by by Christian uh, men and women who are just doing their best to help, you know, uh, families, to help children, to help women, to help the vulnerable. But at the same time, uh, you know, there there is this moment when 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 um, helping begins to hurt and and that. That that has happened far too often in Haiti. Mm. We're going to continue our conversation with Luke Moon here in just a moment. We're going to make a pivot to conversations about what is happening in Africa. Are you aware that there's like a corridor of coups um, that, you know, just bringing turmoil across an entire band from coast to coast in uh, in the continent of Africa? That's up next on Mornings with Carmen. As we consider the life of Jesus and the life of the first generation of Christians, reading here the book of Acts and all the letters to the Christians in the New Testament, we see people who, like, wake up. They come to see and understand and then receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And it changes everything. We see Christians then telling other people about the good news and inviting them to respond in repentance, be baptized, and follow Jesus. The movement of Christianity grows person by person and then exponentially as people walking in darkness receive the light of Christ and want others to know what they know and have what they have. Well, you and I are living in dark days. People need light. And Jesus is the light of the world today in the same way that he was the light of the world at the beginning of creation and at the first Christmas and throughout his life on earth and in his radiance now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the light of the world. So if you're walking in darkness of any kind today, I invite you to consider Jesus. 
If you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224. African leaders backed by the United States and France have now given those responsible for a coup in Niger to step down and restore the democratically elected president. Um, Niger has been experiencing a coup, um, but it is not alone. Uh, Luke Moon is here with us. He's helping us understand what in the world is going on in the world. So, Luke, we have um, we have evidence of uh, of genuine generational change happening across a wide swath of Africa. Can you brief us in on this? Yeah. Uh... The country of Niger is the is the latest country in this. Really, that there's a band of countries, as you mentioned before the break, basically just at the bottom edge of the, the Saharan Desert, uh, in really the middle of Africa. Niger is one of those. Mali is another. Burkina Faso. This kind of line across that section of Africa, in which there's been a series of coups, often uh, facilitated by the Wagner Group, which is have been very active, as we all probably are aware, in Ukraine. Uh, and this kind of group of mercenaries uh, for hire has been uh, facilitating or helping coups take place across these nations, often kicking out dem- democratically elected um, governments. The, you know, the, the Niger has been uh, dem- has had democratically elected uh, government for the last two years that's now, uh, as of right now, has come to an end. Uh, but it's, a, it's an ongoing uh, destabilization. I mean, one of the, there's, there's several kind of things at play here. One is just the, the, whole of the, um, the whole of the world really is looking at, you know, Africa is where uh, a lot of uh, minerals are, are being uh, you know, mined for things like electric vehicles. Uh, That's where the cobalt mines are in Africa, lithium mines, uh, a whole bunch of those types of minerals, which, you know, you have, you have companies like GM that has said it will stop, it will stop making uh, gas powered vehicles. Uh, I think I can't remember what by day, maybe 2035 or something, but the vast amount of minerals that are needed for that, uh, you know, they're not going to come from places in the U.S. where, you know, the environmental re- regulations are very stringent. They're going to come from uh, places across Africa, and they're going to come in, uh, and, and they have to get obviously out to ports. But there's there's literally uh, hundreds of billions of dollars at stake in these countries. And, uh, you know, one could almost look at this as a kind of, you know, in the way that the colonial powers at the end of World War II, World War One, uh, you know, drew up uh, the borders of the Middle East. This is basically, you know, what's happening with these with these, uh, with powers trying to kind of gain influence, particularly Russia and China, but the U.S. too, uh, in these countries to get access to these resources, which are so critical. Yeah, from Guinea uh, in the west to Sudan in the east, that is the band uh, of, uh, if you were to draw a 
a geographic ribbon across this portion of Africa. That's where we would be looking. And um, Luke, you're right to point underground to look for the cause of this. Um, lithium, uranium, um, it's the new oil uh, of, of the day. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, you're, you're right to point our attention there. Um, Africa has now, uh, this portion of Africa, this Sahel or Sahel region of, of Africa has surpassed the Middle East in terms of, um, of all kinds of uh, negative influences and activities, particularly those of a, a, of a jihadist nature. And so um, there's a lot of death in this region, and we want to be lifting up uh, people, precious people, in the midst of all of this um, as people from the outside are, fo- are fighting over really what's under the ground. Um, but it's people it's who also, are you know, seeking one, to one, live in these one places. One of the other things you're getting also in this is the, the rise of Christianity is pushing up, right? I remember a couple of years ago watching a, a, uh, like a conversation basically on Al Jazeera where uh, it was a, a couple of Muslim scholars complaining about the numbers of conversions from Islam that were taking place in Sudan. And so you could, you know, there's, there's always been this kind of, uh, you know, call them the bloody borders of Islam, but it's this place where Islam kind of is pushing down, meeting some other religious tradition, and it often has a destabilizing factor there as well. Mm, so good. I'm actually looking at an article on the, uh, from the Luzon movement about finishing the task in the, in the Sahel region of, of Africa. So I'm going to read more fully in on that. That's, um, that's inspiring and encouraging. Um, Luke, the the United States is trying to hunt down malware that China has deployed into systems that are essential to U.S. military operations. Uh, I think this is one of those reminders that um, that war is no longer just uh, happening on the ground between you know guys with guns. War uh, war takes many forms today, and this kind of warfare is real. Oh, it's very real, and and it's it has a sophistication that is often. You know, it's the, it's the kind of things that, you know, when it gets written up with the, to the kind of in detail, you're, you're simultaneously terrified and impressed, right? I remember uh, the next uh, malware that the Americans and Israelis used to trick the Iranian centrifuges into spinning faster than they should have and therefore burning out all the motors uh, and... You know, the, the, the way it was set up was, you know, these were electronic systems, but the meter read one thing, but what was going on on the motor was another, right? And so they were, to, it, 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 you know, that, that malware uh, pushed back the development of the Iranian nuclear program by several years because it was so, it was like so destructive. And so these types of systems, when they get into... Um, uh, computer system, the advanced computer systems, like things that where where you need high precision, they're extremely dangerous because you know they they you know like these systems are not simple to build. It's not like uh, you know you go into Radio Shack, well it doesn't exist anymore, but you go into the place where you get electronic parts, right? And uh, you know soldering some some like kit together no very complex systems but they're also built by or or 
have very complex um, software in them and plugging a USB into it. And all of a sudden, the next thing you know, that has gone throughout the entire system. And it's very hard to, to locate and, uh, and very destructive. Mm. Um, the UN Security Council has received its first religious freedom mandate. You guys write about this. Uh, it's posted at ProvidenceMag.com. For those of you interested in reading it, can you, can you brief us in? Because this is pretty big news. No, it is. It's very exciting to see, you know, the UN, I mean, the UN has, uh, you know, in the, in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, uh, Charles Malik was, uh, it was a Christian Lebanese statesman, kind of wrote the, the section on basically le- religious freedom. Uh, it was freedom of conscience is what the, the, what the, that specific line item was. And it has taken a long time, I think, for, um, for the religious freedom understanding to really gain hold. And I, I think that, you know, it, it's interesting because it comes out of a couple of different places. And one in which, you know, there's, you have situations like um, in, in, you know, United Arab Emirates, where, where there's a high level of religious freedom. Uh, you have places like Saudi Arabia, which are trying to improve their image, and therefore they will lean into things like religious freedom. Um, but then you have, uh, you know, the interest in places like, you know, France, where there is, uh, there's a rising Muslim population and an, an increasingly frustrated, uh, I call it atheist state, or, you know, the, the way that the the French state kind of views religion as it needs to be put out of, you know, society. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't wear any necklaces. Don't wear any cross or you know crosses. Don't wear. Don't, make it don't have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, make it invisible, right? And so you you have that kind of pressure coming from countries towards Europe, saying we want the religious freedoms to be able to practice Islam, uh, and and at the same time you have places like the U.S. pushing. Or other places pushing to 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 allow for Christianity or some other religion to to be more practiced, and so really at, almost out of like a form of of I don't know pragmatism, perhaps if you will, it it's, it seems to have finally after well, how many years since the UN's been around, like seventy or so more, mm-hmm. uh, it's 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 uh, it's finally becoming a priority, and that's a really good thing. It is a good thing. Luke, as always, thank you so much. Blessings on your uh, time in Israel and those that you're traveling with and whatever it is you're there to uh, seek to achieve. We appreciate your joining us today. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Wisdom is necessary um, for the living of these days. Uh, Sometimes short-term solutions uh, seem to lead to more harm um, than good, and yet sometimes that's what's necessary for long-term good. It's very challenging days in which we live. So let us be people who pray that God would grant the wisdom that we know um, the right thing to do, and then give us the courage and the discipline to walk in those ways that we might experience real transformation. That's the pathway to transformation, right? God God reveals it, we're obedient to it, and then God brings transformation. But that takes discernment, wisdom, and then obedience. Another hour up next. 
Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.